You're on, Dale. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Kiss Me, I'm Psychic. I am your host, Christine Corda, and it is November 27th, 2010. At least it's November 27th, 2010 here in Waterbury, Connecticut. What it is everywhere else, I have no idea. I really hope that everybody had a lovely Thanksgiving. Mine was pretty laid back. Uh, Here I am again for another night on Blog Talk Radio with my very special co-host, the very merry Dale Roos. How you doing, Dale? Good. How are you, Chris? Good. You don't sound very merry. I'm very merry. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, you know what? Announcement time. There will be no readings tonight because we have a very special guest, and I will not do them when we have guests ever, no exceptions, so thank you for your understanding. Another announcement, Dale will be releasing his first book in a few months. It's a paranormal investigation manual for kids that are 15 and under, and it's called Horton Hears an EVP. So it's an awesome book. Stay tuned, and we will let you know. Tonight, we have a very special show about a fascinating topic, Bigfoot. Now, admitted, I know very little about Bigfoot but I do find the subject fascinating. Dale, I really, I, I think you, this should be your show, because I know that I've, over the years I've talked to you about this, and um, Dale's not really going to bring a book out called Horton Hears an EVP. It was a joke, just to let you know that that's not real, because they're going to be looking for that, Dale. But um, well, you, you're, you're quite the, the uh, aficionado of Bigfoot, if that's the right way to put that. Well, I've been I've been interested in following it since I was a kid, back in the yeah. days when when uh, they still published Argosy magazine. My brother used to bring it over and show it to me. Argosy. Argosy, yeah. It was yeah. it was like a it was UFOs, Bigfoot, any kind of you know strange phenomenon that went went on in the world. I don't think it's I don't think it's published anymore. But it was a good magazine when I was a kid. No, I would. I, I'm, I'm not saying this against you, but I wouldn't categorize Bigfoot as being strange. I think that people consider it strange because it's unknown. But I think that yeah. he's probably he or she, they are pretty real, and that we just don't know enough about them. But Chris Allen. Now, Chris Allen, not to be confused with the American Idol winner Chris Allen. Chris Allen, that is here tonight, is a wonderful country singer who has had great success and will no doubt continue to have great success through his very, very soulful music. And when I say soulful, I mean just soul-filled. He has Alan with Southern Thunder. And, Dale, you know me. I'm not generally a big country music fan, but but his music is is just awesome, and I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's such a beautiful sound. I would encourage you all to go to his website, which is www.chrisallen.com, and I posted that in the chat room. Check out where you can buy his songs. I pretty much bought them all, um, and then I realized I could have bought the whole thing in one fell swoop, but he'll thank me, because you really will love them. You can also join Chris on Facebook. Uh, I believe it's, it's we'll, we'll ask him, but if you just type in Chris Allen, K-R-I-S-A-L-L-E-N, um, you'll find him. Chris also leads expeditions in the West Virginia mountains in search of evidence of Bigfoot, and he has personally seen Bigfoot, the Bigfoot creature several times. So 
let's welcome Chris to the show. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Hi, Chris. How are you? <laughs> I'm very Hi, good. How are you, Chris? I am smiling ear to ear with the introduction like that. Wow, that's that's uh, that is awesome. Um, <laughs> Made me want to go out and buy my own music too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really mean it. I, I I really do. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I like good music, and I really that's good music. It's very soulful. Well, thank you very much. I, I think you sing it, and you can tell that you feel it. You know. Well, I'm, I've had a lot of. That's probably been my biggest comment that I've gotten from DJs around the world. Uh, I've had a, I have one DJ over in uh, Canada, he told me he was pulling in from uh, driving somewhere, and he put on one of my CDs that I mailed him for the station play, and he was like, man, I had to pull my car off the side of the road, and he said, I just lost it. He said, I sat there and I cried on the side of the highway for 30 minutes. So if my music's going to make you sit there and cry and have, and have car wrecks, you know, don't don't buy my music. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but this, he was telling me that it was the, the cover song that he was listening to, which is called, on my last double album, which is called Heroes Never Die. It was about actually getting the news when you're away from town that your father is in a critical position where he's not going to be around. Yeah. Well, it ended up that uh, I, two years after I wrote and recorded the song, which I did not write that song, I, I co-produced and co-wrote the song, but it ended up that I was in Nebraska and I got the phone call, how fast can I make it to Charleston, West Virginia? I'm like, pretty quick, why? And that was when my sister told me my father back in 2008 was dying of cancer. And it, it was a... I relived the words. Of, it was kind of ironic how my life went to that song, and I lived the words of that song. And so for, I, I got a taste of my own medicine. I got to see exactly what the DJ was telling me about, because it was uh, it's word for word. If you lose somebody, you're about to lose somebody, and you can't be there to tell them goodbye. And, uh, yeah. We use the, the heartfeltness to the music. I actually owe credit to a, a rock and roll band. I grew up listening to Pink Floyd. And I loved how he had the soulfulness that he put in his music. And when I tried to do that in Nashville, they were like, this isn't going to cut it. you got to have the Nashville sound. And I yep. wanted to be different. I wanted to be myself. And right. it ended right. up that uh, I, I took a bet, and we put it on the largest provider of Internet music, which at the time was mp3.com, out of uh, Burbank, California, which is owned by Universal Artists. Right. And uh, yeah. we put it on there, and... Within the first few weeks, we started climbing up to the top band in Tennessee, then the United States, and North America. Then we started climbing on the world charts, where I was competing against some really large names. And it started off, within three months, I was seeing my name up around 53 on the chart with uh, Mark Chestnut and some of the huge names that I absolutely love, Mark Chestnut. Yeah, and, uh, I do. After a very short period of time after that, we started getting neck and neck, where Faith Hill had the world top three of Breathe, Kiss, and The Way You Love Me. And then my song that I wrote, recorded, and performed called uh, Best Friends, which, by the way, I gave that song away to United Way to the Special Friends Children for uh, the mm -hmm. Down Syndrome Society, and that song made it up to number four on the world charts, beaten only by Faith Hill. And we had another tremendous writer by the name of Bill Nash, who wrote the Montgomery Gentry song called Hillbilly Shoes. He came up to me and was like, Chris, my best song that I've written, I want you to record for me. And he said, he said now my wife, she had this cough she couldn't get rid of. And he said, baby, when I get back in town, I'm taking the hospital, if you still have it. Got back in town some weeks later, and she saw the cough, took her to the hospital, found out she had cancer herself. And she had just a short period of time, it was five weeks to say goodbye to her three daughters, three, four, and eight. And uh, oh she passed She passed away. One year later, Bill was telling me that, you know, I never really cried that hard when I buried my wife, my best friend of 24 years. But it ended up, he said, that when I buried my wife, that's when it hit me. And he said, my daughter, she came up. You know, a year later, she was already four years old at that time, got up on his lap, said, Daddy, it's Mom and Angel. I was like, yeah, Pumpkin, why? He said, why? 
And she said, Daddy, do angels cry? And he said, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. He lost full control, and he wrote the song, Do Angels Cry? And it, it, uh, it made number seven on the world charts. So that was a tough one for me to actually record because it was a tearjerker, you know, living the same thing in my life when I found out both my parents had cancer. Yeah, it already made me cry. It's going to make me cry even worse now that I know. With that album, I didn't want to have the whole thing to be, you know, a tearjerker. We put happy songs like Slow Down in a Small Town, which is actually a true story about going through the South a little bit too fast on 59 and getting pulled over by the police. And uh, I used to have a lead foot at the time. I, I had a promise I'd never wear steel toe boots again. And... uh <laughs> <laughs> But we've got a lot of happy songs on there as well. And then we've got a new album out right now that we're working on, and it's I feel it's my one of my best works to date. And I have a, a tremendous studio out in California called Skip Sailor. That's S-K-I-P-S-A-Y-L-O-R.com. If you go to Skip Sailor's website and look at the list of artists that this guy's recorded, I mean, he's recorded everybody from Elton John to Garth Brooks, Britney Spears, Beyonce, you name it. And he came up to me and was like, Chris, uh, I'm a really hard person to get along with. I don't have a lot of friends, but your voice on a 1 to 10 is an 11. I'm like, wow, I like you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's a great sound. I mean, i I, I got to say, and I, you know, I, obviously I'm a psychic. I, I run the show. It, it tells me I'm a psychic on the title, so I must be. And, I, you know, you can feel it. And, and I think most people can feel the, the, the just the genuine emotion behind the song. And that's what people look for, you know. Anybody can yep. write a song, or a lot of people can write songs, but you, a lot of people don't know how to get that, that feeling, that soul into it, you know? So I, I mean that really sincerely. Well, a famous producer of mine who also produced Keith Whitley, and he came up to me down in Nashville. Now, this guy was working with me on my last album. I don't know if any of your listeners know the history of what happened to me. I was attacked by a terrorist in Nashville, broke seven bones in my face. I was, getting ready to get a, I was getting ready to get a huge deal on Curb Records, um, Everything just fell out from underneath me, and my producers who were producing me ended up having to produce Brad Paisley right after me. But it ended up that uh, one of the guys, Jim Heffernan, which he also worked with getting uh, Leanne Ryan's her song, Blue, on the air, which was Patsy Cline's song, written for Patsy Cline, by Bill Mack out of Fort Worth, Texas, uh, the Open Road Radio Show. He has a syndicated uh, a satellite show called The Open Road. And that yeah. guy, I've met him many times doing a lot of shows with him at Civic Center events. And a tremendous writer, by the way. But I was attacked by a terrorist in Nashville, and it, it caused me to not be able to sing for almost one year of my life. And uh, oh, wow. it, he broke seven bones in my face. You know, and I, Why I had nothing to do with it. Do? Or is it just kind of like they kind of do he that? He just, just went off screaming, I hate Americans. And uh, I heard somebody scream, and I turned around, I seen a one-and-a-half-year-old baby just flying through the air. We drop-kicked the baby just ten foot through the air. And oh, I, he God. took a ball bat over my face, and I didn't see anything else after that. It completely knocked me out. Uh, he beat up several people that were there, and he kept screaming as he was beating me in the face for a long period of time until the police got there. Um, wow. Don't know what his problem was. I mean, I had nothing to do with the politics or whatever. Why he doesn't like me from where I was born. If you don't like where you live, get out. But don't go around beating really? people over it. Well, they all people like that. They just got big problems. They they all have inherently big problems. You can't really reason with them at all. But thank God he didn't do anything worse than that. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, that, well, you know, everything has a reason, and I'm not bitter over what happened to me. I, I know there's a reason for it, and uh, it even tells you in the Bible that everything has a reason, but we don't know the answer, and we're not made to know the answer of everything here on Earth. And that goes to, to the music or the psychic world or the Bigfoot world, as far as that goes. 
you know, we, there's only so much that we can know, but we quest to learn as much as we can, which is our common nature. And while we're here on Earth, you know, I, you know, the music, I write my music when I'm out in the remoteness of the woods where I have zero distractions. And that actually leads to finding what I'm in quest for, Bigfoot. Because when you're out in the woods in the solitudes where you could write and no phones, no distractions at all, you'll be amazed what you hear out in the woods. <laughs> Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I don't question that. I don't know. You're sitting there strumming a guitar, and that thing starts screaming at you. That'd be a little bit uh, disconcerting. Yeah, I mean, I, when I hear that, I guess I just want to change the pace of music, and that's when I start playing rock and roll. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 you know, it, it ends up that most of the time when I'm out there, I'm writing, and uh, I've, I've I've heard the thing countless times when I'm out in the woods. Usually when I'm playing music out there and I'm writing, I don't hear a single thing, hardly anything, but, you know, you might hear occasional cricket or something like that since the time of year. But uh, I'm out in the woods regardless, and usually late at night or something is when you'll hear most of your screams and whoops, tree knocking, rocks thrown at you, activities. Wow. Wow. We live in Connecticut, and I, I mean, I live in the city, so I can imagine some of that, you know, but probably like the rock throwing and the screaming, but... Nothing to the extent of that. And I've been through Connecticut so many, you know, dozens oh, really? of times. And you've got some, I mean, yeah, you can blink your eye and you're through the state. But, you know, you've got, compared to where I'm from, I'm from Texas. And uh, when uh, there's so many remote areas in Connecticut, even though, I mean, you may have a city, but that doesn't mean that, for example, you wouldn't have, if you live right in the city, you could still have things like raccoon, animal activity that comes into your city. And if you oh, have a place... Yeah, I mean, any place that you have a food source, Connecticut, anywhere, you'll find traces of Bigfoot because they're more abundant than what people give credit to, in my opinion. Wow. I, I, I agree with that, too, because there's, I mean, you hear stories and, uh, you know, my my experience with Bigfoot has no, I have no field experience. It's just been, like I said, growing up, following him, watching on TV, reading uh, articles, books about him, and, uh, they're all over the country. All over the country, there's reports of, you know, a Bigfoot type creature. Uh, in, was, it, was it the Mau Mau in Missouri? In Missouri? Well, you know, it was in in Boston back in the late 1700s. They actually had the hideous creatures of the New Land. They somebody actually took a blunderbuss and shot the, the calf muscle out of one of them, brought it to the ground, and right. they they took it on display down there. They even named the street that was on display. With its two siblings, the two uh, the two baby Bigfoots that were with it, that were effortlessly captured, along with the mother. So I mean, there's there's a huge record. I mean, you know, ever since Ponce de Leon came down to San Augustine area and called America the Floridas, you know, they had reports back then. And there's so many different reports of different cultures. Of I'm half Cherokee and I'm half Irish. Both sides of my family from overseas, yet here, both have stories that have been passed down. In fact, that would probably be something that sometime in my life I'll be writing a book on hand pass down stories from you know family members. Yeah, it's not just mine. If you have stories and things like that and want to contribute stories, you know, I've I've actually got probably a hundred pages of it written so far. Just mm. haven't put it into the the binder or anything to get past that point. Right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I, I, the um, we we were watching a uh, a show about Bigfoot the other night and. Uh, they were talking about they think that the the ancestors of Bigfoot crossed the uh, came up from Asia like the Gigantopithecus mm-hmm. and 
crossed over the land bridge into North America and spread out all, all over North America. And that that would that makes just perfect sense to me. Well, you know, history always repeats itself. And who's to say how many land bridges that we had in the history of Earth where these right. creatures were alive? But right. if, if that being the case, and plus these things are tremendous, um, they're so intelligent. The main reason that anybody can't argue with me here that they're so intelligent, do you have one in captivity? <laughs> no. That's because they're very intelligent. Yeah. And with today's technology that's affordable to the mass public, you know, the the imagery one, maybe generation two binoculars, that's that's okay on generation two is not so bad. But if you really want to see something like that, you've got to have state of the art. And most people can't go out and afford six to ten thousand dollar night vision products yep. that can actually film and record from a good distance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you have to have something that can be turned on rapidly instead of waiting for it to come on. You know, my camera, when you turn it on, it needs to have this song. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay, it's on. And now where's Bigfoot? He's already a mile down the road. Yeah. <laughs> he's waving He's waving goodbye. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> we always joke awesome. around that, you know, he's going to come up right in front of us and just wave while we're trying to get our cameras on and walk <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Bigfoot, could you just hold on a second? My camera's got to warm up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's like um, that's like the Patterson film. I mean, that was just that was like a boom boom thing. The guy, you know, they went around that bend. Uh, he, you know, his family got ridiculed for years and years. I've actually talked to people that have spoken with this, his family members, where people right. called in death threats and everything, you know, telling him, "Oh, you didn't see that. You're just a big hoaxer and this and that." And now the scientific community sees it quite differently. Oh, this is the legitimate thing. This is real. And, right. uh you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if somebody in, in the world of in the world of scientists, cryptozoologists, and people that just go out and research this, whether it's you know recreation or a profession, you know, right. give every one of these people credit their dues. I mean, because if you're going to go out in the woods and you're going to face a creature that is tremendously intelligent, nocturnal, mm-hmm. not to mention anything else, and you're going yeah. out there with the bare essentials that you have to record this, I mean. Those yeah. people have some guts. I mean, hats off to each and every one of you because I could tell you firsthand experience. I've looked for Bigfoot in almost every state in the United States, at least a minimum of two weeks to way longer than that in the accumulation of years. I've got video right. and footage of uh, and uh, tons of photos of this on every state. And to get out there and stumble across just one track, you know, you're, right. you're doing something right, a legitimate yeah. track, something that you could tell is not a bear stepping in its own track because there, a lot of people get offended when you say their photo looks like that, and I don't mean to offend anybody. But I'm the type of person, if I see something, I respond without thinking. And, I'm, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people will post a picture of a Bigfoot track, and if you look at it closely, it may actually not be a Bigfoot track. It may be a bear track. Now, right. there's a lot of legitimate castings out there. If it has a mid-tarsal break, that doesn't mean that each footprint that you cast is going to have it in there. It depends on the, the, the step, you know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many factors involved with it, you know. Yes, You've absolutely. seen Bigfoot. You've actually seen Bigfoot. Uh, I've seen saw... seven Bigfoots in my lifetime, yes. Wow. And I actually got to sit with probably a minimal ten people in the yard, which I wasn't focused on counting how many people were in the yard, and I was just a child. But my first sighting, we stood there, oh, I'd say a good solid 45 minutes to an hour, and just watched it. I mean, just like if you were at a zoo looking at a, a, a gorilla or something, just standing there being able to watch and observe it. And I remember every single detail of that. And uh, 
it was it was so awesome just to sit there and watch it. It was no different than really some of the, the apes that you find at your zoo as far as the way this one was responding. It sat there and picked up the hair on his arm and it looked at us and it looked at his arm and it looked at us and just you know really? it was very calm. Yeah. Very it calm sitting calm. on top of a sycamore branch. Huh. But it, it was aware it was aware that that you guys were there watching it. it oh, it, it had no sure. doubt we were there. I mean we were out in the back flat yard and the right. sycamore tree was at the edge of the forest behind the yard in a small town called Shillian, West Virginia. Now, these mm-hmm. lots at the time were probably, you know, three-quarter of an acre lot, an acre lot at the most. Right. Uh, slightly hillside, very well-cut yards. So, yeah, he had no choice but to see us all out there, and, and he was not alarmed that we were there. And at the time, none of us really knew what it was. We didn't. None of us actually thought it was a Bigfoot. I don't think anybody right. knew what the name Bigfoot was at the time. And yeah. This was before the Patterson video. I mean, I was... Very young, as a kid out there. My second one that I saw, it was so it was so curious to watch me. And just a brief eye encounter, I had seen the thing maybe a total of one, two, three, four, five, but maybe five seconds eye to eye. And I turned to get the person that was with me to turn and look at it. And when I looked back at the tree, it wasn't leaning around the tree looking at me. And I did not dare go to this tree to see it because its shoulders were massive. I mean, yeah, I've never seen a human man that was half the size of this. Wow. Yeah. You know, of all, of all the paranormal investigations I've ever been on and the things I've seen, that story alone, <laughs> if that ever happened to me, I don't think anything would scare me more than that. I don't know if that makes me uh Well, you know, some of, my friends out, some of my friends out there and have the same philosophy that I have, that if you merge some of your equipment that you would use in, in the paranormal world with the Bigfoot yeah. world, that you would probably have a better chance uh, so far, we can't say that everything we've done has been positively successful. Uh, that's proof in the pudding because we don't have one to study. <laughs> we may have some yeah. video footage, but nobody's actually ever captured one of these for the scientific world to study and research. No. And unfortunately, there's a lot of animal lovers that would probably hate me saying that, but they have to be realistic on understanding this. You know, in, in the late 1800s, when they, this man came off the mountain and said, I saw this giant bear that was white and black, and it was eating bamboo. Yeah, everybody laughed at him until 1918 or 1920-ish when they actually captured the first panda bear. Right. You know, that was right. that was not very long ago. Less than 100 years ago, they captured the first panda bear. And how many millions of people were on Earth? And they just captured it? Right. Yeah. You've yeah. got to know, you, it's a note to preserve, to protect. You've got to understand and know the species that you're protecting. And so scientifically, they need a species of this in captivity and... Nobody wants to think of capturing one, putting it behind a cage, and this and that. Well, that I can't argue with that. I would hate to see that myself. But if you're going to understand this thing and protect them and better protect the world around it, you've got to know the environment of what it needs to, to successfully live. You know, because right. I speak with a lot of hunters when I'm out in the field, for example. For the last five years, we've had a lot of bear hunters in the mountains of West Virginia that have all, every one of them have arguably complained about how much more dangerous the black bears have become in a short period of time. I'm theorizing that I believe that it's because their food supply is dwindling, not as not as available as it was. And now everything has a yin yang theory to it. If you take out a lot of the deer in the area, whether it's you know, hunters or the bears or the bigfoot or the smaller things that they eat, or decrease the forest, then they have no choice but to go into your Connecticut, Connecticut or any town closer into right. the more sub, suburb areas, looking and foraging. Right. And if you're on the <laughs> If you're omnivorous, no, I mean, if you're omnivorous, you know, who's to say that your dog's not on the menu? Right. Oh. Right. Well, we're, you know, we, well, we have a 
we have a problem here in Connecticut too. Uh, you know, we've been a fairly urban state with uh, with bears now. Uh, back, you know, in backyards eating out of bird feeders, terrorizing mm-hmm. people, and uh, you know, now we have. You know, when I was a kid, there was no the, the coyote you saw was chasing. He was chasing the roadrunner. But now we there's coyotes taking eating dogs and cats like like candy around in Connecticut now. So you know, you're right. Well, it's a small 75-pound cub black bear will easily whip the biggest dog there ever was. I mean, they're they're powerful enough to do that. They're very aggressive oh. by nature, mm-hmm. and anyone that goes out hunting a black bear knows that they're one of the most, you know, if if you're walking down a trail, they could be 30 yards away from you, walking with you, and all of a sudden right. they're going to charge you so fast, you might not even have a chance to get your gun out to defend yourself with, this black, with the black bear attack. And, yeah. you know... They're they're pretty aggressive animals, but the point is, if they're competing on the food chain with the uh, Gigantopithecuses, the Blackfoot, uh, the Bigfoots, the the species of the Bigfoots that are around here, whether it's the Gigantopithecus blackie or just the Gigantopithecus, the Scottsdale, whatever area that you're at, you've got so many things that they're feeding off the same food source. You've got your mountain lions, your jaguars that'll be feeding off the the the, uh, deer as well, and smaller game as well. Anything smaller is game. Right, right. In 1924, a man named Fred Beck claimed that uh, he and, and some of his fellow miners were attacked um, uh, in July 1924 by what he referred to as ape men who were throwing rocks at their cabin. They they um, shot and they thought they killed at least one of them, which led to a an attack on their cabin. And they just bombarded them with rocks and tried to break in and... Um, I guess he wrote a book about it in 1967. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's um they tend to have a little bit of a of an angry streak, I guess, or whatever. That's a new book but for I me. I, if you reading. can, if you get the if you get the name of that, uh, send me a fa- or an email on that. I like to check that book out. But uh, yeah, you got several you got civilizations that go back where a lot of Indians that were wiped out. Their whole tribe was almost wiped out by these the big men, the the hairy men. That were coming in and plundering is killing any human and taking them off supposedly to eat them, you know. And and in one particular situation, somebody just told me about this. Um, the the two elders that escaped, and they were telling about the story of this. And I just heard about this last week from I think it was maybe an Alex Hearn or somebody. Uh, uh, forgive me if I don't remember who did it. I, I go through so many hundreds of email a day, but this yeah. was a an interesting story about the tribe that was completely almost wiped out by the uh, Bigfoot, and uh, oh. You know, they, yeah, I could see them being extremely aggressive. I mean, you get some people that swear up and down they're very friendly because they've had communication with them. Well, you know, that'd be like comparing a human. You know, their their DNA is so close to human DNA. They probably have a lot of personality traits just like us. And you've got some bad humans, and you've got some great humans. You know, you probably got some bad Bigfoot, and you got some great Bigfoot. You know, and if you were if you were a young male Bigfoot just kicked out of your pot, now you're going rogue. So you're 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 out on your own trying to find. You know your own home, your own food source, and your own, you know, female companionship. You might be in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The lady Bigfoot has PMS. You're doomed. Let's just say it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, well, I would never that, want to be captured by a bunch of female uh, Bigfoots that are PMSing around me. Poor <laughs> male. That wouldn't be good. That would not be good at all. Well, being psychic, uh, you know, I get asked this a lot about my opinion on Bigfoot. You know, saying you're, since you're psychic. How do I feel about Bigfoots being psychic? If their DNA is just like ours, 
only 1% different than ours, I would say definitely they'd be psychic. They'd have, I figure they'd have a really strong sixth sense. And what I, be, what I mean by sixth sense, when you walk out in the woods, you've got a feeling, I should not be here right now. Or if you went somewhere, you just got a feeling, I should not be here right now. Using that sixth sense, they probably sense that there's something wrong, something's going on. They focus on it, and they, I don't know, if they, who knows, they're not even telepathic. That's why we need. Well, you know, they're they're in an environment where they have to retain that. I I believe we all. I believe that God just made us that way to protect us, and people have blown it all out of proportion. But if something is in the in the wilderness, you can't really use your eyes and your ears. You know, there's not a lot of light going on and everything. They have to learn how to sense things to protect to keep themselves alive. So they have to. I, I feel that's correct. You know, I mean, mm. they would have to, to to be so evasive, to be away from us. And and in my life journeys, you know, if somebody doesn't know something about me, for example, if you go to my website, chrisallen.com, and it's with a K, K-R-I-S-A-L-L-E-N.com, and look under magazines, there's a magazine called Jesus Loves Even Me. And it talks about where I died, and I was actually pronounced DOA when I got to the hospital, and wow. the emergency room RN, Dana Hart, was getting ready to rip my catheter out. And they tried to resuscitate me, and they couldn't get me to come back, too. And uh, that was the CSC General Hospital. I got to meet face-to-face Jesus Christ. He walked into the room in front of me and spoke to me and explained to me my entire life as a baby growing up. And, you know, you've got people that have never seen Jesus or never have seen God, and but you get down on your hands and knees and you worship them all the time, there no matter go. what Christian you are. Well, You've never seen a Bigfoot either. I'm not comparing Bigfoot to God. Jesus, don't get me wrong. I don't want nobody emailing me thinking, yeah. oh, <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. they're there. You don't have to actually see them to know that they're there. We have so much proof of it. So giving it that benefit of a doubt, you know, just this, the quest goes on. Sooner or later, somebody is going to capture one of these, and then the whole world would see. Wow. You know, those people uh, aren't so I, crazy I, after all. <laughs> in a way, I'm kind of glad that they haven't because, you know, it, it's it's. Human beings don't generally, they can they can uh, ruin things, you know what I'm saying? They can. Kind of there's still some things in the world that are, that are untouched. A non-ending soap opera, so to speak. Because exactly. once you know the ending of it, well, then, what else great wonders do we have of the world that's unexplored yet or haven't been found? It's getting fewer and fewer. And most of the animals that we're coming in contact with are becoming extinct. I mean, there's so many animals on the endangered list right now, more than ever. Right. Yeah, and, that, and that, that's a very sad, sad state of affairs, too. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I can't really say a lot of things because a lot of the shows that I do are funded by giant corporations, but out of those giant corporations that fund a lot of things that I do, um, i got to be real cautious on the ground that I walk on. But a lot yeah. of the streams that I encounter in the woods are contaminated so bad oh, by yeah. runoffs. And one of the one of the key runoffs is selenium, and you've got right. several other carcinogens that are released by huge rates. And nature, in its own self, causes these things. If you were to take a mountainside and take every tree off the mountainside, no matter how many you're going to replant and and regrow forest, it takes time to regrow that forest. Right. Then you have the topsoils will bleed off. Yep. The erosion rates are crazy, and when yeah. you have the runoffs going into the stream. You know, and there's just so many things. Even even Mother Nature, its own self. When you have the giant forest fires, the ash fallout has a huge mercury content in it that falls into our streams. There's right. some things that doesn't. Other than Mother Nature, we don't need to accelerate them. We need to protect what we've got out there. Right. You know, but 
the money is always going to rule Earth. And as long as right. money is ruling Earth, you know, there's going to be a lot of species pass away. And, and in our lifetime, we're going to witness many more. Yeah. Unfortunately. I'd hate to know that we're the. I'd hate yeah. to know we're the last of the species kind, and we're going to be gone because of the greed of money. Yeah. Amen to that. I, that's very, very true. Well, very, you know, I, I was I was in the environmental cleanup business for gosh almost twenty five years, and I saw a lot of stuff like that too. And it's just it's all it's all it is is it's based on money. You know. Yeah, these, it is. These Did, were you talking about hazmat? Did you work around with the hazmat materials or hazmat? Even 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 gas and oil spills, especially the underground variety. Uh, you know, years ago they they had the um, they, they put MTBE in the gas as an additive to supposedly clean up the air, but that was one of the you know that, that that's a terrible carcinogen, and they knew that, but they put it in the gas anyhow to to, to clean up the air, mm-hmm. so you know it, it contaminated billions and billions of acres of of groundwater with the because yeah. you one drop of I think it's one drop of MTBE. Uh, contaminates like oh gosh, like two million can contaminate two million gallons of water, just one drop of it. And but, now, you it, know, if it, you look, okay. if you look at what was living in that water, even underground, there's right. You know, a lot of people look at it blindly. You know, well, there's nothing living under the ground if it's just the water table. Yeah, there's a lot of life in the water tables below the earth that benefit oh. the water and, and buffer the water before it comes out for drinking water. Absolutely. You've know, got to be careful what goes on the ground because what goes on the ground goes in the ground and into our water. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, you know, my point was that, like, agreeing with you, that it's, it's, it's money. It, it was all money. Yeah. If, if, nobody, if nobody was holding, the, you know, these companies' feet to the fire, they wouldn't have cleaned it up. They wouldn't have cared. Yeah. And unfortunately, those areas that have the income source to do that, that's the only thing that's there, and it usually pays very well money. Like here in the coal fields in West Virginia, you know, you have no choice but to strip the, the mountains from the coal because you're in the coal fields. That's all there is here, you know. And and out Midwest Pacific West, you got the the giant trees that are vanishing at alarming rates. You know, right. they're vanishing in everywhere, even Connecticut. Yes, you know, I, I get people tell me all the time that they were talking about they've seen a forest in Connecticut almost wiped out. I'm like, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, you know, such a small state. It is, and it, it, you, so we we can't take as much of a hit as a bigger state. But it's yeah, it's 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 bad. They're having um, we're having a lot of trouble with the uh, with lobsters in Long Island Sound because there's some mysterious uh, they call it shell rot, but it, it it's and, and there was a large die off in 1999 because I used to I was a commercial fisherman for a while. And, uh, well, what happened was, and they won't admit to it, of course, was that they were spraying pesticides to kill mosquitoes because the mosquitoes were transmitting West Nile virus. So they sprayed all these pesticides along the shorelines and in the marshes, and it obviously reached out into into the sound and sank to the bottom, and that's where the lobsters live. And lobsters being nothing but an underwater bug, it was it, it decimated the lobster um Population of Long Island Sound, and it and it's just now barely starting to come back into its own. Wow! Uh, and when you compare things of that nature up there, then with the oil spill down south, with the yeah. inland sources that are being contaminated, that are spreading out to the oceans in its own self. 
you know, it's hard. To, I wonder if, any, if anybody out there is actually counting things like the plankton count. If it's something, you know, the earth can change in the blink of an eye. <laughs> if we're not careful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, the, even the stuff because I know I know the stuff that they were using that dispersant on that for that spill down in the Gulf, and that stuff is nasty. That mm. you know, that talk about plankton count. There'll be there'll be no count with that stuff. Last summer, I was in the Mongahalia National Forest camping in a tent. Not in a campground, just out in the woods where I was doing one of my uh, uh, explorations out in this area looking for something. And while I was out there, I heard uh, the helicopters flying all morning. Early, early in the morning, I heard the helicopters flying. And I don't remember what insect it was that was overpopulating and killing the trees at the time, but they were spraying some kind of chemicals around. And I heard the helicopter go right over top of my tent. And I felt it, the, the, each blade, as the y'all is pitching, you could just feel the thump on your tent. And all of a sudden, you heard a little pinging sound where they... I don't know if they were actually, I doubt they were spraying over me, but they probably leaked chemicals over my tent. Right. And I'm like, wow. Uh, right over top of me, out in the woods. So, I mean, when you combine what you're talking about for the mosquitoes yep. and, and then all the tree beetles and things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I mean, a, we're, all, we're in a yin-yang situation and we're in a rock and a hard spot in some things. I've been out in the woods with a strong wind picking up and the trees are just snap falling all around you from where the beetles have killed the trees. And right. it, it's dangerous in its own self. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, you know, you don't. It's, it is. It's a rock and a hard place. You know, you you have to uh, protect the people, but then you're also, on the other hand, endangering the people by, you know, the what, what's that old saying that that the cures worse than a disease? Yeah, my neighbor is showing me some of his wood cabinets that he's putting in his house today, made out of the uh, wormy chestnut. And right. they're about they, they built the the cabinets out of this barn. They have a huge barn, and mm-hmm. uh, the they actually burnt, I don't have any cubic yards of lumber, worm chestnut. Those that right. listen to this program may not know what a worm chestnut is, but it was a tree that we once had that's no longer here. And if you right. have any wood, it's high-dollar wood. But, uh, hmm. yeah, we're just talking about the endangered species. That's not just the animals. That's the trees in its own self. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a bunch up, up, up this way, too, that their names escape me as far as uh, trees go. But, you know, they're gone, too. Yeah. Chris, tell us about when you go out. I want to hear about the expeditions that you lead. Sure. How long do these usually take? How what tell me one more time. I mean, how long do you usually go out for? Well, it really depends on. Sometimes it's just a weekend, sometimes it's several weeks. Longest I've ever gone out at a single time in one spot was one month at a couple of locations. Usually it's rare, more than just a few weeks. But um when people go with me, they usually have a job or something where they can't be gone for long periods of time. And yeah. so I'll, I'll run short places. We'll have some people get together and meet and go out. I've gone with other groups of people, um, and theirs was the same way that mine are. We just go out. A lot of times I'll go out in a solitude just by myself, and I'll look at places I've had things laid out, like I may have certain things laid out in the woods, something edible, a donut or whatever, knowing yeah. that anything can come up and get it. But if you tie it up high enough, then fewer things will get to it. Right. And uh, I'll find a lot of broken things. Uh, I'm looking for the perfect cast on the ground and have tree cams up. Right. Okay. So it really depends. But usually a weekend is a good... You could find a lot of things. If you go there early enough on a Friday and you're there Saturday and Sunday and it's something within like a 100-mile radius of your area, then you could find things. And it doesn't have to be on an expedition with me or something, but if you want to go out on your own, you know, there's things to look for. And 
you know, I'm, I'm not talking about what you'll see. I'm talking about what you're looking for to see if you have evidence of a Bigfoot in your area. One, that the number one thing you want to find is people calling in, telling somebody or a reported area, look on the Internet, if you can find locations, if you have a hot spot in the neighborhood, and if you have people right. that could tell you, yeah, we've had a lot of sightings in this area. That's the number one thing to look for. Number two, when you get out, is looking for any kind of evidence, whether it's uh, tracks in the ground, soft grounds around creek banks, river banks, lake shores, uh, the trees, like a lot of trees, you'll find little sapling trees that will be bent over and snapped or pulled over like they were bent over and the tops you know, huh. tied to the ground. Yeah. Uh, just looking for some kind of formation, something that was not normal, stacks of rocks. You know, I'm talking about rocks like uh, under the size of a Frisbee that might just be a Frisbee size to the size of a, a big bobber, a Christmas ball or something, just stacked up on top of each other in a pile or something. Hmm. Th- that does not mean that these are that is a Bigfoot in your area. That does not mean that at all. That's just something that would lead you to thinking more on the positive side that this could be. And then you right. start looking, spread your circle out into a larger diameter, looking for things. And just because if you don't find something in that immediate spot doesn't mean... 50 feet down that creek bank or river bank or something that you might have you might have found one. There's no way you're going to cover everything. But if you look in the, the hot spots where the deer go, the deer trails, and all these things of nature, if you look at it as if you were the predator looking for food, what would you do, where would you go, and how would you do it? And in thinking like that, you'll find yourself closer to the evidence of it. And always being prepared with a good camera at low-level light that can take the picture. Yeah, do they know what the rocks, uh, why they do that with rocks, or what the theory is about those the rocks? Ro- my theory on it is a weapon, because I found many carcasses of deer where their chest oh. cavities were exploded, you might say, and right oh. there was a rock. I even found a, a carcass once before, did not have a camera that was working with me. Uh, I was not actually on a Bigfoot expedition, I was actually on a hiking trail, and I found a deer body once before, it was, had been ripped apart. Um there was a rock laying right at its chest cavity where it looked like you could almost tell that it was definitely hit by a rock, and that would have been probably one of the greatest photos I ever, ever would have taken if I would have got that with me. Um, too far away to come back with a camera, and if I would have came back, I know it would have been gone. Yeah, amazing. I came now, back we, actually to the area like a week later, and there wasn't even a bone left. Oof, gee. Well, we have a caller. You, you don't mind taking a call, obviously. No, not at all. Yeah. Okay, area code 647. Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe they don't want to take... I don't know if you want to have a... I think they're just listening in. I just learned that, you know. <laughs> the little hand isn't up, so... We'll see if the hand goes up and we'll let them... Uh, yeah, any caller wants to call in wants to talk to me direct, let them bring them in. <laughs> yeah. The number here to call, if you want to call in and, and talk to Chris, is 347-637-1441. Um, Chris, so you take calls and reports from people who have had sightings, right? Yes, I get calls all the time. I get a lot of people that will track me down. Uh, trying to find my number and things is not the easiest thing on earth. Uh, somebody just recently told me they found it on Facebook. Um, if it's a legitimate call, I, I, you have to understand the life of a musician. Uh, and plus, I have kids. It has to be a serious call. I mean, I love to be able to talk music all the time, but I... I if you're in the if you're looking for somebody to book or something of that nature, you can go through my website and, and, and connect through me through an email or something. If you're wanting to get in touch with me about a Bigfoot, you've just got to get my attention first somehow, whether it's through an email or you find my phone numbers posted. Um, you can, I don't have any problem if anybody wants to write me on an email. It's chrisallen321 at gmail.com. That's chrisallen321 at gmail.com. 
Or you could write me through Facebook, either way. And yeah. uh, just tell me what you got in the area, because uh, if it's something serious and, and, you're, and you've got something out there, I'll be you know, more than happy to come out and check it out on my scheduling time. Right. So what, what do you – now, Dale mentioned the Patterson film, which I've seen as well. What is your, in your opinion, the most impressive piece of, of evidence, whether it be video or, or something that you found? I, I noticed pictures on – I think it was your Facebook. It might have been MySpace – where there was hair that you found, correct? Yeah, the the five deer carcasses right here where I live at. Now I'm I'm in a college town, which is a coal mining college town in uh, West Virginia right here, and uh, right. outside of the Montgomery area, there is a lot of um, deers with any place in the mountain state. But these deers, when I went up on the the ground, it was just com- it was covered in a circle. It was probably about you know I don't know how you'd say a four foot by three foot or so, or a little larger. When I pick up the hair, you can see where it had been eaten all the way down to, like if somebody just grabbed it and just cut every single bit of flesh off of it possible. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like somebody actually was trying to to make a, a to skin a deer. This was beyond that. There wasn't mm-hmm. even a bone left. There was one bone in the area that was left, and you could see teeth marks that had crushed the bone. There was a stick laying that I can't swear up and down the stick was what was used, but there was a, a nice dirty stick that looked like it had been rammed in and out of the bone, where all the bone marrow was gone out of the, out of the bone. And, yeah. you know, it was just crazy. It was right in this one area. Well, it wasn't too long after I had the photos that I had taken there. My son, I have a studio here on the property, a recording studio, and my right. son went outside about 15 minutes till 12, and he was using the restroom. I hope I don't embarrass him, but <laughs> he was. We're out in the woods. And uh, nevertheless, uh, instead of going to the restroom, he went outside. And all of a sudden, I heard, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I was standing right here, so I mean, I ran towards where he was calling me. And he said he saw this, he described a dog-faced Bigfoot, but we didn't know what he actually saw. And I didn't know actually what I had seen at the time because of the brief encounter with it. He described it to a team. We went through, uh, Marco Bill sent some, the uh, DJ friend of ours, uh, huh. he, he sent some photos that were exactly what my son describes he saw. Nevertheless, uh, it came up out of the woods on all four. It stood up on two, and it looked to the left and to the right, or vice versa. Then he said it stared straight at him, kind of like it was shocked that he was standing there looking at it. And that's when my son was calling, Dad, Dad, Dad. He started walking towards it really quick. My son was walking. Now, this he was uh, four, almost five years old at the time, walking oh. towards his, yeah, walking 75 feet away towards his Bigfoot as the Bigfoot was walking towards him. Oh, I'm running God. around the corner instantly to protect my son this way he called for me like that. I had a 45 in my hand, which just happened to be laying there and just happened to grab it as I ran out the door. And uh, it turned, it did a complete 180 spin, like on one foot, and just hit these woods, the the thick brush that grow on the side of the road that goes out into the woods. It's so thick that when I went out with my flashlight, I looked into the, the thickness of the brush. I thought, my God, if I would run into that brush, it would probably knock me backwards on the ground how thick it was. I didn't find out until the next day that it's like hollow, like a river cane or some kind of hollow weeds or something, right. it plowed right through that. And so I went out looking for tracks, anything I could find. I found what was what appeared to be a large dog track that the, uh, one of the photos, the toes actually went almost like a human track where they went just like a human's toes or side by side right. instead of the yep. uh, the pattern a dog track would be. And I've got a wow. photo of that. I've, I actually don't have it on my website right at the moment. And uh, we're getting ready to put that on the website. But regardless, I have a photo of that where the, the toes go together like that. And uh, it was just a, it was an awkward situation that my son at that age saw that, and that was right where the uh, the 
the deer bodies were at, less than, I'd say, half a football field away, 75 wow. yards. That's, that, that's that's just incredible. I I wonder, you know, I don't want to think about what would have happened had you not gotten out of there. Um, but it wasn't charging. Obviously, it probably could have gone a lot faster towards your son. But it was just well, walking. from what my from what my son said, it was just uh, it stood up and it looked to see where it was at. The way I'm gathering what he described to me, what he first encountered, and that's when he started calling for me. And when he started calling for me, it looked straight at him. Now it, had, it came out of the woods on four and it stood up on two. And I asked him how tall it was, and, of course, he held his hand up way that it wasn't very tall at all. But you have to look right. at it in a kid's eye, the way he's looking uphill at it, at the slight hillside. So it's probably every bit as tall as what I am. It could have been taller, could have been a little shorter, but it had at least to be my height. You know, if you've seen somebody standing 75 feet away and you think that they're only four foot tall, looking at them at a, a silhouette of them from the street light out there, you know. He must have yeah. The yeah, have you have you gotten a lot of because we were listening to the sounds and I've heard them you know a lot over the years. Um, what's the theory on on the different sounds that they make? In just my opinion, they're absolutely some of them are absolutely horrific sounding sounds. The screams you know, that they pick up and there's a lot of people that really get spooked by noises that they hear out there. And I spent uh, well, one of them was through the summertime with uh, at the DNR. I actually spent the whole summer, so that was longer than a month, if you call it an expedition, where I did researching almost every night at Canal State Forest. But we've heard the noises where a lot of people had on the on the Internet, and I never really comment on some of them because I don't want to offend some people. But some people send in what they call Bigfoot howl. And now years ago I used to raise Arctic wolves and I used to raise gray wolves. There's a distinct howl between the two species have a different howl. And I'll, I'll, in fact, I don't think I have any of my photos on my website of my Arctic wolf that I have, but I will post them tonight because best friend I've ever had. I had an Arctic wolf that was stretched out. If you could hang him from your roof, like the, I've seen in National Geographic on the bodies, these animals were like eight-foot length, huge. Right. They had double yeah. set of canines. And when I was, I had a guy one time to try to rob me when I was jogging, and my dog went with me. And when he right. pulled his shirt up, getting ready to pull his gun out, my, my wolf showed his teeth in a really aggressive snarl. And when you see a dog with double sets of canines, you think twice before that dog gets you, especially if he's 130 pounds. Now, he looked like he weighed 200 pounds, but he only weighed 130 pounds. The, mm. the points that I'm getting to have cross-references to it on the weight of the animals. I had a friend of mine, Mark Peterson, was just talking to me recently about uh, the Bigfoots and that he believes that they're not as heavy as what people would in, uh, say they are. If you had an animal that its structure body-wise was, say, 12 foot tall, and you'd say he should weigh 1,200 pounds, you know, it may not be as heavy as what some people are thinking is because the bones are really lightweight on certain animals. I'm not saying this is the case at all. I don't know this area and that, the weight of the body, the density of the bones. But I do know if you take an animal and as fast as these things are, I have been in woods all over the United States where you could hear them running around you, you know, something that's running right there. So it's just like a huge heavyweight human running around you on two legs. Right. But you can't see the things. They're so uh, elusive. We had a yeah. Coleman North Star Lantern. It's got this one big mantle in the middle of it and running high-octane fuel and gasoline in it. It's the widest it puts out. With that thing cranked up, me and my dog both heard one running in a 180-degree circle around uh, one of the lakes that we were in in Tennessee, Center Hill Lake. But we couldn't see it. And it was just, it sounded like it was right there running in front of us. Jeez. You know, it's crazy. 
And when they're and when they when they do screaming that sounds, I've had a lot of people that had some recordings where they heard this long drawn out howl. Instantly, as soon as I heard it, I thought of my wolves. And some right. people I've heard some recordings where it was actually barn owls or different type of owls. There's so many owls that live in the United States that make unusual owl sounds. Yeah, you know, I'm not yeah. discrediting all the I'm not discrediting all the, the bigfoot noises that I've heard on recordings throughout the years. Most of them were actually authenticated in my mind of hearing what I've heard that there's no animal on Earth that can make that sound but a Bigfoot. And definitely there's not an animal in North American woods especially that could take a log and just beat against something. I mean, you've got otters that can crack a rock on an oyster or something, yeah. But that's no volume. That's not the decibels that I'm talking about. This was so loud. When you hear one of these things beating, how, how you'd imagine a silverback beating on its chest really fast, these mm-hmm. things were making about the same beat pattern, but it was so loud. You know, way louder than any drummer I've ever hired. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about beat loud. And when you're in the dead, quiet woods, and all of a sudden something starts beating on the trees or on their chest or whatever they're beating on that is that loud, wow. which is a controversy in its own self. A lot of scientists and researchers say that it's a tree, and some say it's your chest. You know, I've never seen it beat. I've heard it beat. And right. that was beating on your chest. I don't see how you live through it. Yeah. You knock yourself out. I'm, I'm talking decibels way above 125 decibels. I mean, I'm talking about something, and that's at the distance where I'm at. It was really loud. I mean, if, yeah. if somebody doesn't understand a decibel law out there, when you get 125 decibels, that's louder than your concert. That's loud. I mean, there are concerts yeah. that are that loud, but that is, like, louder than you. It, it's, it's sickening loud. And I'm around loud decibels all the time with my job. Yeah. Yeah. Now, some people say uh, that they're very aggressive, which I tend to agree with, and other people say that they, they can tend to be shy or even curious. What, in your in your experience, what what do they fall under the most, the category? Shy aggressive. or... Aggressive. Okay. Sad to say, yeah. and, I, and I'm probably going to have so many people hate me to say that, <laughs> because well, a lot of people wanted to be Harry and Henderson. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I've yeah, had more aggressive... I've had more rocks, and I don't mean tossed at me. I mean thrown at me. That would probably kill me if they would have hit. One in particular hit the tree so hard it knocked the bark off a very healthy popular tree. And wow. the, the hit where it hit the tree was, um, I could never have taken a heavyweight ball bat and put a dent in that tree, hitting it multiple times that that one hit did. And I know that rock would have hit me, it would have killed me. Yeah. Well, maybe wow. he, just, he just wanted to scare you. Um, it could have been, and it worked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're standing there and all of a sudden you hear a rock go right past your head, woo, like that, and then smack a tree, it will scare you. It has every right to scare you. I would, yeah. I would, I, I wouldn't even. I don't think I'd have the courage to even go out. So you were giving kudos to the people who, who do this. <laughs> I don't even think I could walk out the backyard. Well, at that you know, the time most of night. the most aggressive rock throwing I've had done at me was not the largest of the Bigfoot, in my opinion. This was uh, what you would, uh, what you would more call the skunk ape something that was a smaller version of the Bigfoot. And right. this was down in uh, Tennessee, and it's happened a numerous amount of times. The most aggressive rock throwing at me was that species of the Bigfoot. I've had uh, some curious play with rocks. I was out of the blizzard camping at the Mongahalia National Forest some years back. I have pictures on my website on Facebook where it shows this beautiful cabin in this gray outfield where it was so cold it was 30 below zero. That was either the 20 or the 30 below, one of the two times that it camped there. It was it was cold. It was so cold, the sky was gray. The lake was right. frozen over. My brand-new, freshly charged lithium batteries went dead on me. 
I've got somewhere in one of my hard drives, which I'm, my Facebook site is fairly new. I haven't had a chance to put all the photos on yet. Uh, I've got tracks out there, something that I'm not really quite sure what it was. I've taken it to a lot of my DNR friends, a lot of my Bigfoot researcher fellow friends, and a cryptozoologist of different species, uh, types of people, and they couldn't identify the species of tracks that I had found. It almost looked like a, an elk track on two legs, and it was not walking in its own step. It was two-legged, walked off the hillside on two legs, and then one came from around the lake and joined where it walked side by side. Now, if you had found these tracks side by side, you'd think it was just an elk or something walking, you know, one elk, two sets of tracks side by side. But where I was back, I found both sets of tracks, you know, where it walked side by side. It came together, merged, and walked side by side. So it was hmm. something on two legs. But nevertheless, uh, this was where I had my, my sighting of the three Bigfoots at one time. The, I saw three Bigfoots that were so huge. One of them was like 8 foot. The largest one was about 12 foot. And their arm reach in this particular area was amazing. I'm, if you're, say, just make it easy for math, if you're 10 foot tall and you can reach something almost your body height, you're talking an 18 foot reach in a tree. Yeah, right, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's try to imagine what that could do with a rock. <laughs> try to imagine an arm like that, what it could do with a rock. You know, I, but the point was I was getting to, the lake was so thickly frozen, I could have drove my Jeep across the lake at any point. I did right. know, but nevertheless, I could have. I went over to the dam, which the water there is about 18 foot deep. I took a rock about the size of a Nerf football, and I could throw a, a pretty fast uh, speedball. And I threw it as hard as I could to the ice many times, and I could only put a little tiny chip in the ice. It wasn't even really noticeable. The next day I went back out to the area looking for tracks, and there was at least close to a dozen, 8 to 12 or so, holes that had hit the, the frozen water, the lake, so hard that it had like a burst. Like if you put an a explosion on the ice, that would burst out, right? Right, It just yeah. put a hole right there. I mean, it just like it, it easily threw a rock through that ice that no human could have done. I mean, I didn't even chip the ice, really, to say. And yeah. you could see the ice was at least thick enough to drive a vehicle across. And it was th it through... There were no rocks laying on top of the, the water out there except for mine. Uh, I mean, the, the frozen lakeshore top. Right. So right. whatever was out there throwing them, threw it all the way through it every time. Jeez. Yeah. If you're 30 below zero, you're, you're fresh water, you're talking 12, 14 inches of ice anyhow. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I had oranges in my pocket. <laughs> they froze right. in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And that, and that kind of extreme cold, sure. Yeah. But, Wow, that, that's true. That, well, there's certain areas. There's certain areas that I had my sixth sense kicked in, and it's right. always in this one particular area at that particular lake that, you know, there's something just not right, and it's not safe to go any further. And I'll, I've had a lot of my friends tell me they've had rocks thrown at them out this one area, and hmm. it's where I want to take my next uh, group of friends to go out in this area, and. Uh, right. This would be a hot spot to get, but you can't find a lot of people that really want to go out there at these extreme mm -hmm. temperatures. You know, right. you've got to really bundle up, and if, if you go out into a remote area and take precaution with you and go out there, you'll find more what you're looking for, the tracks, because you've got the deeper snowfall. There yep. are nobody, there's no really, there's nobody out there in the woods but you, because most people aren't going to be out in the blizzard condition. Right, yeah, that's true. But it yeah. doesn't bother well, you know. out there. Excuse me, Dad. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. But obviously it doesn't bother the, the Bigfoot to go out there. They were very active. Each time I went out there in, the, in this very extreme cold temperature, they were very active. I've had them run by my tent. One thing, you know, I, I would love to be able to, if somebody could ever give me some type of, um, what do you call it, where you uh, 
you sit there and you have the where the doctors talk to you and you go back and relive what happened. Um, what's that word I'm looking for? I would like to relive this situation because have you ever had a dream that you, you somebody woke you up in a weird way of waking you up and you're like, did that just happen or what? I had, I'm not sure if I actually was dreaming this or what, but it was the same night that we heard the beating out there when we camped in this tent way below zero. I felt it harder and harder to breathe. I mean, I felt it very hard to breathe. And yeah. I was camped where I had my hammock or my uh, cot inside the tent. It wasn't too far from the wall of the tent. And when I woke up, something was pushing down on my chest cavity or on my, right around my sternum area, just real, like a nudge, like how a horse would put its nose on you and push down. It was pushing down enough to almost suffocate me by not being able to breathe. And I took my hand. I, I told myself, I have to hit this or it's not going to stop. So I took my hand and smacked it real hard, and it, it raised back. And that's when I came to, like, I just woke up. Hmm. So I don't know really, what, I don't know how to explain that, whether that actually happened to me or what. But it was right there around our tent, and I seen tracks in the snow that were all around my tent. Uh, we had a lot of things in this area. My dogs, an hour before... We actually heard the beating, got inside of a box, and wouldn't even come out of the box. Oh, boy. They didn't do that because they were cold. They were scared to death. Right. You can tell the difference right. of an animal when they're scared or when they're cold. Yeah. They were happy and running and playing and peeing on everything when we got there, and all of a sudden they get in this box and wouldn't get out. Yeah. That's, that's, See, that's, that's, I, that's, I, I would take my, my uh, cue from them myself. I would, that would be me <laughs> getting into the box and hiding. Well, you know, when you get to the to the point, you drive so far to get to a place, and it's so cold, you just want to actually relax and rest. My first night, every time I get storms, I try to to relax more than I do anything. Set up your cameras and relax. And yeah. I was so tired, you know, and I told myself, now, I don't know if we're actually going to sleep in this because it's so cold. We weren't expecting it to be that cold when we got there. Right. And we went through White Sulphur Springs, and the, the bank thermometer said minus 20, and we're not Ooh. up on the mountaintop yet. We camped up on the mountains up there. And so we went, you know, 800 to 1,000 feet up in elevation from there. Right. I'm sure it was way colder than that where we were at. I don't have a thermometer there that actually told me how cold it was. But uh, these things were very active. I mean, within, I'd say, an hour and a half, two hours of being there, they made their presence known. We're, we're not alone. Hmm. Now, wh wh where were you now? I I'm sorry. I we were in Nongahalia National Forest in West Virginia. Okay. which is right. the eastern area of West Virginia. It's a huge forest. Uh, Green Bank Conservatory, Cassini yep. Railroad, those are all landmarks of the area where we're at near a town called Marlington. Yep. Okay. Beautiful yeah, country. I mean, it's... Yeah. They have the Greenbrier River there, which the Greenbrier River in its own self, you know, I've got photos on my website of these almost lobster-sized crayfish that are found all through that water. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it doesn't take something that it's something like a Bigfoot. They could live off more than just deer and skunk and squirrel and groundhog, dog. Yeah. They could live off of things in the water because I've seen many times the uh, turtle shells crushed, uh, crayfish, you know, shells everywhere. Right. You know. Yeah. I, well, you know, I've heard I've heard many well seen on TV and read many articles too that, you know, again depend they eat what's available like out in the Pacific right. North. Yeah, they, right. you know, they, they eat a lot of salmon, a lot of fish. They, they always, you know, they see them actually catching salmon by hand along riverbanks and streams out, out in Washington State and up in D.C. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, 
But we, we learn from the animals that we know of, and we know a bear can effortlessly catch fish or right. anything else. So they get it right down into the shores and pull up all kinds of mussels, you know, the oysters mm-hmm. and things. I mean, they have no problem digging up. Well, right. you know, we've seen how many grizzly and how many black bear and polar bear. We know a lot about those guys. Well, yeah. the most intelligent of the of the species, you know, the Bigfoot. We don't know a lot about that because, you know, we don't have one in captivity. But right. that right there shows of its intelligence. It's got to be extremely intelligent. All these, there's so many brilliant minds. I've got to work with some people that are just, just so intelligent. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Einstein's type of IQ level. Yeah. You know, right. just, they're doing everything they can to get out and capture this beast. And it's it's smarter than us. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think it takes much to be smarter than a human, but that's that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, in its own environment, I would say it would definitely be smarter than us because, yeah. you know, you put a Bigfoot in a math class or a science class, of course we're going to kick its butt. <laughs> but when right, it comes yeah. to the art of survival out in your own backyard, Bigfoots yeah. are reigning number one, in my opinion. They're so intelligent, far better than us because think of it like this. They don't go out of their – we go camping in a tent or a makeshift shelter or something for – a short period of time, they live in this year-round. Right. So if you're able to go out there without a, a thick technical jacket on your body at sub-zero temperatures and feed and survive and breathe, you're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's their habitat. They, you know, they they know, how, like you said, they're, they're intelligent enough to know how to survive. That's right. And, and not be seen at doing it. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. The amount of people that have seen them versus the amount of people haven't seen them, there's no comparison. But those no. of you that have been fortunate enough to see one, it's an altercating change of your life that never can expire. It's something that you're going to talk about to the day you die. I have never met a person that has not seen a Bigfoot that it's not their number one story of their life. Right, yeah. Well, it's, it's an amazing thing. To, it would be an amazing thing to see one. Yeah, I, well, I consider myself blessed to see what I've seen. Now, out of the seven that I have seen, you know, right. some of those out of the seven, I cannot actually put my light to say that's what it was. But I had found the tracks. I heard the, the howling, the beating, the the walking, and I seen a silhouette stand up right by me. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that that was a Bigfoot that stood up right by me and took off running. But with all yeah. the evidence around me, I led it to believe that I had seen mm-hmm. seven. Now, out of right. that, I have seen several that I've seen face-to-face that I know are real. Right. So, I mean... I've seen several different species of them, uh, the different shape size, different face size, different body size. And as I spoke with some of my friends recently on, on this topic, some animals when they're younger don't even look like they are when they're larger, when they're older. Even even in the snake world, like a baby rattlesnake, it's a completely different color than when he gets to be an adult. But it's right. still a shape of the rattlesnake, just a smaller size. Right. You know, or right. These things change. They put on weight just like our Rottweiler or a dog species or something might be a cute little adorable puppy as all babies are adorable i don't care if it's an animal or a human they're so adorable and then they grow up you're looking hideous like me or something no i'm kidding (laughs) they grow up looking you know their adult way and then if you have combat with some of the males that may be fighting with each other you may have you know body damage you know right scars of yeah scars exactly broken bones I you may remember, have been shot uh, by somebody. Yeah. They, I oh, remember I watching... Oh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. No, no that's I, all I was saying. I have a, I have a question for, for both of you. 
Um, regarding the, it was uh, Patterson, right? The Patterson mm-hmm. video, or not yep. video, film. Yeah. Um, now, you talk about the chest beating and, and the rock throwing and all that. Now, when I saw the Patterson film, he was riding the horse, the horse reared up, and that was the most impressive to me because you could see that it wasn't it wasn't contrived at all in that in that respect. But the, the Bigfoot, whatever it was, the Bigfoot, um, kind of slowly kind of, in my opinion, walked away, looked back, um, looked, you know, turned the upper part of the body, looked back at the people filming. Uh, why do you think that it didn't stop and pick up a rock and throw a rock at them at that point? I feel like the same one I've seen on top of the tree, and I always assumed it was a juvenile. He was only about oh. six foot tall, roughly. But it was so calm and it, it wasn't yeah. really doing anything out of the way. I mean, it was just so calm about it, you know. But then again, an animal like this can change, boom, like that. And it's instinct to survive. If you're out to look for food, you're going to be aggressive. Something might be in your hunting area, but if you're, you know, you see something on a horse, it could actually spook you, I'd assume. I, yeah. Now, as far as the horse, I try to look at that video over and over, and I was I was probably the worst skeptic on it. I was so picky on watching it. I can't tell you how many countless times I watched the Patterson video looking for mm-hmm. something that I could dog that guy over. And uh, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't because the movement of it that I had seen was so fluid-like. It was so smooth and so fluid-like. Now, I, I, I trained for many years to be a physical therapist, you know, from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I worked in the field for many years. I worked with a lot of foot injury, plantar fasciitis, and things of that nature. I watched the, the foot movement on the ground, how it, just, how it moved its leg movement. Um, right. You know, now the horse itself, if somebody was in a monkey costume and came out on a horse like that from a distance that that was, that that alone would spook a lot of your horses. Not all, but it would spook a lot of horses. But the horse itself, most horses are so, they're, they're a very intelligent animal too. My friend that I was talking about earlier, Mark Peterson, he's got a horse, Dusty. And if you go to markanddusty.com, that's M-A-R-K-A-N-D-D-U-S-T-Y.com, and watch this horse. It's like Roy Rogers and Trigger, but, you know, that horse is just a, it had a high IQ, and the ho- that horse, from what Mark told me, can actually track down the Bigfoot. It, it, it can smell the ground just like what a dog would do. Wow. And it's a very intelligent horse. It shows him on, a, on one of his videos. The horse actually goes over and picks it. He tells it to go get his backpack and brings it to him. So the horse walks over, picks up his backpack, takes it to the tree and sets it down, and he tells him to back up so he can put the camera up, and the horse steps away. You know what I mean? Wow. Amazing yeah. horse. Yeah. So, I mean, horse, the horse, in my opinion, was authenticated. It was, it was definitely spooked from something that scared it. Uh, you've got to consider, when you jump off a horse and grab your camera and get zoomed in and focused in on something, you know, it's not going to be the most smooth movement of your camera. You're not going to have it on a tripod. Right, oh, like no, a movie really. or something. This thing actually gracefully walked over all the obstacles like it wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, but it but it didn't it didn't attack and that that kind of was I, I'm not doubting it I'm just saying it was interesting to me that it that it just it, it just walked away very calmly and did not didn't feel threatened is what I mean it it wasn't aggressive it didn't show any aggression it just kept right on going. Well, you got to consider most of your primates that we know of like the silverback if right. if something were if that were a grill out there and you know a little bit more about a grill than what you would a bigfoot if something, the grill is sitting up there on a rock, and all of a sudden something spooked it, you know, when they came up on the horses. It's going to go seek shelter behind something to see what it was. I, I oh. figure it did not go very far from where you were filming at, where they were filming at, 
I figure it went just in the wood line. It was watching from behind the trees at a safety to where it can gather its salt on what to do. Now, come nightfall and you're in the area, that might be a complete different animal. And who's to say that it would not be aggressive? I mean, you, you can't ever judge a wild animal. And you've got a lot of situations where a lot of people had a lot of beautiful sightings with the Bigfoot. There was one that I was just reading on the Internet the other day where this guy fell off a cliff, and he was miles from safety. He was miles yeah. from people. He fell off a cliff and was in a life-threatening situation, and yeah. he swore his life that a Bigfoot carried him several miles to where people can find him at. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you've got stories on both sides of this. And... Now, let's look at this animal from a perspective of something that we know, the, the, the gorillas, or even something like a dolphin. We're trying to look at the intelligence of an animal here. Now, a dolphin swim with people. A dog, your best friend, or a cat can live in the same environment as a human can. They love us to an extent, but you also have dogs that will eat your ass up. <laughs> hope I can say yeah, that. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you've, got, you've got some good ones you've got some bad ones. Uh, if, you, if you yourself were a, a Bigfoot and something shot at you, and something cut your backyard down, all the trees in your yard, in your neighborhood. It was just just always irritating you. You probably wouldn't be the friendliest Bigfoot out there. Yeah, yeah that's you know, true. And I'm, only, true. I'm only theorizing it from what, you know, if they're human-like, very close to the, the genetic scale of being a human, I figure they would think alike to an extent of a human, a lot of thinking process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we well, do. They, no. they are so sorry. <laughs> no, <I'm good>. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I, I was going to add to that too. In in that Patterson film, I, you know, most animals when when they are surprised or startled like that, if they have an avenue of escape, they will use it. Instead, so you know, like you said, some will attack, some won't. The ones that don't, if they if they have the avenue of escape, they'll they'll try and get away first, and then. You know, turn around and look and see see what was uh, what the problem was. You know. Yeah, I mean, I did this before with mountain lion. I had a a mama with her two cubs, and I don't have the world's greatest hearing because I'm around loud amplifiers all the time. But we were right. walking on a on a road, a paved road, out in right. the woods, and some people that were in my group they heard something snap out in the woods, and it seemed like right. they'd been following us for a while. Well, I was in more disbelief than they were. I was like, all right, on count three, we'll stop. We stopped. It didn't. We heard it make another. St- I heard at that time a stick broke. We shined our right. flashlights right in the area. We saw the stick or heard the stick break, and there was a mama with her two cubs, and the ears were laying straight back, ready to attack. Uh-huh. And I, d- I didn't understand the species as well as I should have. And it was very foolish. And kids don't try this at home. I took yeah. off chasing it in the woods. <laughs> okay. I ran right after those mountain lions, and they ran way back off in the woods. Now later, right. I found out that they're a lot like a, a house cat. What they mm-hmm. probably did was went so many yards back in the woods and hid behind a tree like, can you believe that? <laughs> I could have hated that country singer coming after me, but it startled me. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, right. I figure a lot of animals yeah. will do that. If something yeah, came right. running at you, you'd probably run, and you'd stop and go back and gather your thoughts. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I've been out in the woods deer hunting, deer hunting and, you know, you smoke a deer in... in most people would think, oh, the deer, you, you never see it again, but it, it only runs a certain amount of, di- you know, a certain distance, and it, turns, it stops, turns around, looks, looks at its back trail. You know, a lot of people underestimate a deer. Let me tell you something. I did this once before, and I almost got the crap beat out of me by a deer. I tried to spook a deer, and it came right. at me. <laughs> Luckily, I got away from the deer, but, you know, mm-hmm. 
you got to consider something. This was an eight-point deer, and I ran up to it thinking I'd scare it, and it ran back at me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, don't put a hurting on you, too. Oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube where you'll watch these guys, you know, big old burly-looking hunters that yeah. this little scrawny old deer, you wouldn't think, but this one guy probably weighed 280, 300 pounds, had this yep. deer, a small deer up on his hind legs, just beating the crap out of the guy, and the guy was actually, you know, laying back on the ground laughing at it because it wasn't hurting him. It was like a baby deer, I guess. Yeah, but the deer yeah. was just jumping and kicking him and everything, and he fell back on the ground trying to catch his breath. And he probably could have died from laughing to death, but if that had been a big old buck, I mean, that would have been a different story. I've seen bucks oh. with big old shepherds, you know, just kick them up, beat their butt real bad. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah it's, with, with all the things that you've got to deal with when you're out in the woods looking for Bigfoot, it's, it's you know, you've got so many things you can stumble across. And one of the scariest things I stumbled across while I was out in the middle of the woods had nothing to do with a Bigfoot or an animal. It was the humans that actually startled me because I I came across several times meth labs out in the middle of the woods. Oh, my God. You're out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're out in the middle of the woods, and here you find an abandoned meth lab out in the middle of the woods. Oh. You know, those those type of animals that make that out in the woods, they don't play games. They play for (laughs) keys. Yeah, Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's just... Yeah, so you got so many different things that you got to face out there on that. And at the same time, I keep my music rolling. I keep my, my music. I have my children. Uh, my school, I'm full-time in school. I start this uh, January. I'll be doing a, a two-year course at Bridgemont, working on my entrepreneurship. Yeah. And uh, the, the professors that are there, I've already went in and met with them. And they, were, I, they told me that uh, they would excuse me if I had to get out for my movie that we're working on or whatever I had to do that I'd have a excuse a pardon to get out and go play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well they were well, like you know, I was like what I'm sorry. No, you have a, a a TV show that you're working on, correct? That's correct. Monsters Myth and Mysteries. Yeah, that that sounds really great. Um, well it's about you... it's more than just Bigfoot. This is about everything that's unknown. It doesn't matter what it is, something that came across you know, in front of my desk, if somebody had a story out there, something that we need to explore, it goes into a file that I have on my hard drive that we put in there, and we go through and hash out what we think is, would be something to go explore on. For example, it doesn't have to be just the – we're doing one right now that we, I talked about, which was on the elusive mountain lions, the black mountain lions, the puma, right. the yeah. uh, leopards, because you have both species that are black. And a lot of mm-hmm. people don't really realize this, but you actually – thought you saw a black mountain lion in your yard, and it actually might have been a jaguar that you had witnessed, then again, it could have just been a black house cat, because depth perception, especially at nighttime with a flashlight, and you're spooked yeah. already out there because you heard something. <laughs> yeah. But if it's something that enough people saw, you have enough people witness that seen something like that, Bigfoot, ghost. Now, in your line of work, you have tons of experience from what I have in my, my paranormal area. I have mm-hmm. very little experience looking for ghosts. But we have a lot of people. I've got hundreds of friends on Facebook that they have organizations of people that actually go and explore certain areas, both houses or, you know, graveyards or wherever it is they explore on ghosts. And sooner or later, they're going to get me out there on one of those things. I'm actually more scared to go do that than I am looking for a Bigfoot. <laughs> you, you might be more likely to find them in the woods, too. I, you know, well, you know I, we... We have looked back on so many of our photos out in the woods, and I kept yep. wondering, why are my lenses giving me these round circles that are floating all over the place out there? And at the time, I didn't know what an orb was. And right. I showed some of my paranormal friends, and they're like, wow, look at these orbs. That's amazing. 
And I have a picture yeah. where I was uh, actually on a boardwalk in St. Augustine. And uh, now oh. this was uh, actually in South Carolina. I was out on a boardwalk at the beach in South Carolina, and you can see this long line of orbs, you know, spaced out behind me where they look like they're just following me out of this area. And all these trees with the Spanish moss. It was a pretty eerie-looking photo to see me walking on the boardwalk with all the Spanish moss in a flash of nighttime, the, the way the picture took everything in a gray mode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would lost. think... I'm sorry? No, I would think you would you would be able to see more in the woods, but put, you should post those pictures. I'd like to see that. All right. Well, those are, I've got a list of things that I've still... I've got so many different hard drives, and trying to get my time rationalized out to... Have the available time to spend because we've got like huge terabyte hard drives that are just packed full of photos and things on there. And if somebody doesn't understand the hard drives, and that's just one hard drive that's a terabyte. When you have several, we have six of them that are full of photos. Wow. You can spend a lot of time just going through photo after photo after photo. And and what really gets me, I had one time with a person like I had a person tell me, "Oh, you could not have did this." It's like really. So I spent effort to look for that particular photo, and there it was. Boom. You know, anytime I'm challenged with something, you could have. That's when I get more inspired to find that particular group of photos. But we've got photos. We've got photos of every place, every state in the United States where we have been on explorations looking for Bigfoot. And out of those explorations, we have seen countless things that had nothing to do with Bigfoot. They were just spectacular. And it doesn't just mean an animal. You know, like when you're out in the middle of the woods in Oregon and you find the most awesome orchid out there just growing on a tree or a tree that's so big it would take, 15 to 20 people to put their arms around it and still probably couldn't touch. You know, yeah, I've got my, my eyes have seen some beautiful sights. And at the same time, they've seen some sights that I wish, you know, that were super scary, that it just, uh, <laughs> just felt so unsafe. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's, you, you're, that's incredible. Lots this movie that we're working on, Monster Myth and Mysteries, it's, right. um, we want this to be a little step different. What my plans are, because you have a lot of uh, great movies out there, and I'm working with some well-known people that want to help work with this movie on there. And uh, the CEO of Monster Quest, we're working together on this, Dan and uh, Mark Peterson. We're trying to get Dan Nyberg and Mark Peterson. We're trying to put together a, a new philosophy on a, on, a, on a movie. It's not like Monster Quest. Now, we go out on expeditions looking for different unknowns all over the place. Right. That's a real expedition. But we actually are, will be inviting celebrities to go on those expeditions with us. And so if you're out in the woods and say if you had Ted Nugent or uh, Aaron Tippin, which Aaron Tippin is an avid hunter. He even has a big hunting store outside of Centerville, West, uh, Tennessee. Right, and uh, right. you take somebody out in the woods like that with you and have them go with you. So you have people that are fans that don't know anything about Bigfoot that are fans of just country music that will watch this program simply because they're a fan of that person. And then when you're back in the studio, like America's Funniest Video, live crowd, we're showing the videos that we've gone through and narrating. So you may have Ted Nugent or somebody sitting there talking about this exhibition, about where, yeah, this literally came out of the woods and scared the crap out of me, and then uh, have that particular person, whether they're an actor or an artist, if they're an artist, let them perform on the show. So we have live entertainment. We have the expedition, which will be narrated as if you were watching a video on America's Funniest Video. And we go through yeah. it. It's more of an education, you know, because I grew up watching stuff like Scooby-Doo. Well, you always know what's going to happen in Scooby-Doo, but in the real world it doesn't work like that. But, you know, really? our movie took off. My mind started off as a kid watching Scooby-Doo. I grew up in the Monster Quest. And now it's that I love entertainment, both uh, comedy, something that's light-hearting that would make you laugh, like Saturday Night Live had a lot of comedy skits. 
And so right. we had a program that could make the live crowd laugh and enjoy it, at the same time be educated by what we found in the woods. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. What a great idea that is. Thank you. Oh, man. Thank you very much. Especially if you get the Nuge or Aaron Tippin on there. That, that would be great. Oh, man. You know, Aaron Tippin is an awesome person in his own self. The first time I met Aaron Tippin, we were outside of his, uh, there's a restaurant just right down the street from his uh, hunting store. And this is out in Center Hill, Center Lake in uh, Tennessee. Right. And I've seen him perform in concerts before I even moved to Nashville. I moved to Nashville to make my records back in the winter of 95, 96. And right. uh, when I met Aaron Tippin down there, I was thinking I'm going to meet somebody that's like 10 foot tall, big as a yeah. football player. <laughs> and here he was shorter than me, and I'm not a big person. I'm only like almost 5'9 if I'm wearing my cowboy boots. <laughs> right, right. It's like, wow. And he's got such a big, powerful voice to be such a short man like that. But it's, it's, he's got this... Uh, can-do attitude, and I love his yeah. attitude, and that's yeah. what it really takes in any any field in your, that you go after. I don't care if you're looking for ghosts or Bigfoot. If you think, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could do it. Well, that's probably as far as you're going to get. Probably can't do it. But if you go out right. there thinking, I can and I will, if it's there, I'm going to find it attitude, you'll go so much further in, in your life. And uh, oh, Aaron Chipman's yeah. awesome like that. Yeah, he's I, – well, I've never met him, obviously, but I've seen him on TV and interviews and stuff. And he's either, He seems like, man, what a great guy he seems like. <laughs> he is. Now, I get a lot of people actually wanting me to write a book about the celebrities I've met through my lifetime, you know, about mm-hmm. how they are, their personalities. I'm right. not about to do that because I could be hated by so many people. And I might be loved oh. by some, but I'll be hated by more. Because I, I was actually – I met so many major people that were I was big fans of. And when I met them, they are like, wow. Wow, that that person's kind of mean. <laughs> what a yeah! You know, wow, you know, fame goes to some people's head or whatever, and uh, yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I can't ever see that happen to me. I mean, I don't care how big I ever got in my life or how big I'll get or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a country boy from the country. I look at the same thing, and I don't want to have a lot of money because if it's going to change me, well, I give money away. I don't care. I mean, I do. If you go to my websites and see, it's not just on Facebook. You go to my other sites, like on MySpace. And you'll see all the, like chrisallen.com, there's just a very few pictures. That, that's being updated right now as we're speaking. But I right. love to do shows for kids. And I've, I've gone over the place to do cancer shows for kids or adults. Yeah. You know, and I look at life like this. You know, I don't care who you are, how rich or how poor you are. You've got the right to breathe and eat and explore this earth just like I do. And if somebody was kicking you and you're down, I'm going to give you a hand and pick you up. And that's what I'm here for. And I'm not trying to say this to get brownie points, to get people to go out there and buy my music like me or not. It doesn't hurt my feelings. You know, I'm, I'm a very absorbing person. If you like me, I like you. If you don't like me, I still like you. I mean, you know, you could easily trigger my redneck switch or something by saying something out against uh, certain people and kicking them when they're down. But other than that, you know, I'm in the same life. I'm in the same boat. I have been kicked. I've had my face smashed in. I've uh, had my ups and downs. I've been there, and I've had it all taken away from me. You know, life, right. if, you're, if you have the mentality to get back up and brush yourself off and go out that door again, you find yourself back in those situations of making it to where you left off at. I've never right. looked, well, I make it to my stardom that I had once went to when I had my face, when I was attacked. Never mm-hmm. looked, and I do it again. It's just like I know what I'm here to do. This is I'm an entertainer. That's right. my thorough life outlook. I, I entertain. I love to entertain. And uh, if somebody needed somebody, you know, if you've got some kids that need some help in a, in a cancer institution or homeless, I don't care what it is. Tell me that, right. too, because if I'm in your area and I can help out and do a show, it would probably be a solo show because I really just can't take a band 
if I'm out on a Bigfoot expedition, I can't fly a band in. But if I'm there and you need some coverage, some uh, some airtime or something of that nature, I'm there. I mean, come on, this, this world is so much smoother if we actually lend a hand and help everybody and just be nicer to everybody. It really would be. That's awesome. And we are winding down um, here. And the website, www.chrisallen.com. Great music. Obviously awesome projects. Check it out. Join Chris on Facebook. Chris, it's been great. I mean, I knew this would be a great show, and it's been so nice to talk to you. And I just want to say that, that God bless you, and we will pray that your life will continue to be blessed more and more. And just come back again anytime you want. And, yeah, do write a book. Write a book because I would love to, to hear a, that you wrote a book. It would be, it'd be great. Awesome. And, you know, it's been so wonderful being on your show, and thank you for the – that was the warmest intro that I've had ever. <laughs> you really you, – you, uh, you put a huge smile on my face on that. And if people out there want to get together, they got some interesting stories, you can get a hold of me through my, my website, chrisallen.com. And by the way, if you get a chance, sign my guest book in there and say hi to me. Put some kind of contact form in there. Uh, I even have Leonard Skinner in my guest book several pages back many years ago before they started kicking the bucket where they were telling me they were my biggest fan. It was like, wow, Leonard Skinner wrote in my book. Barbara Collins wrote that they were my biggest fan. I'm like, awesome. But, you know, get in there, sign my book. Let me get a way to get in touch with you if you've got an interesting story that you have something to explore in your area. And uh, we'll go from there. And uh, you can get the link off of chrisallen.com to take you right to Facebook. Great. And the music is gorgeous, wonderful. You're a wonderful guy. Thank you so much. Join us uh, tomorrow night. We're going to be back again because you can't get enough of us. Tomorrow night at 7 on Kiss Me Psychic. Good night. God bless. Good night, everyone. Good night, Chris. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.